Hello, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever in the world you are. Um, welcome to the Big Football Podcast. Hosting, as always, my name's Dan, and I'm joined this evening by Paul. Good evening. And Khan. Good evening. I'll, I'll just put it straight out there, gents. I'm not sobbing still from the game at Villa Park yesterday. I'm actually just chock-a-block full of a cold. Um, so I'm not crying, honest. I've got lots of things <laughs> to say about that game, but I'm not crying. Not not now, anyway. Um, what a strange weekend of football. We've got a couple of things we want to discuss, but um, I, I messaged you both yesterday, early afternoon, with a, a little bit of an agenda only for United to have a, a kamikaze game against Spurs and for Liverpool to then go and beat that probably by some distance. Um, where, where do we start? I, I think maybe can I've talked enough. Do you want to? Do you want to uh, have the mic? <laughs> why not? Why not? Well, one day you're going to hand over to me after a good result for United uh, <laughs> early on in this podcast. But um, yeah, let's let let's make a start. I mean, it was. Obviously, a, a dreadful, dire performance all round from start to finish. Um, I say start to finish, excluding the first minute when <laughs> it, it looked like it was going to be quite a good evening for us, um, you know, with the early penalty. But but that aside, um, we, we were absolutely dreadful. And, and you know, and we can talk about the, the, the sending off, as I'm, and I'm sure we'll come on to that, because obviously people have opinions on whether it, whether it should have been and, and the performance after that. But... We, we were dreadful before that, and that did get picked up on in, in some of the punditry you know, around the game as well. We were absolutely awful, um, even at 2-1, before the sending-off with 11 v 11. We were just, it was just absolutely shocking. And I, you know, when we talked about after the, our first game of the season, the home defeat to Palace, I was quite lenient because I said you know, we'd had this kind of shorter pre-season because of the uh, you know, Europa merry-go-round and you know, <laughs> players were lacking a bit of sharpness and all that. And I, I said, you know, it, it you know, it's it's a sort of an opening day, it was essentially an opening day fixture for us and you know, weird things can happen on opening days and I'm not gonna sort of, you know, be too doom and gloom about it, given that since we'd come back after the lockdown, we, we looked a really good side and we were playing really well. But, you know, the Brighton game we were extremely lucky uh, in that one. And obviously we talked about that last week. Um, but there's just no sign of us gathering any momentum. If anything, it's the complete opposite. We're getting worse each week. Um, and I don't really understand why. Because you would think that we would be taking the momentum from last season uh, over into this one. But it just looks like we've just been completely caught in the headlights. Uh, and neither player, manager or coaching staff have a clue what to do. And it, it's it's absolutely bizarre, but the, the the performance, you know, was was genuinely one of. There's been some pretty grim days in the last few years, uh, you know, as, as a United fan in, in the post Fergie years. There's been some really poor displays under all the managers that we've had. But and you know, and Solskjaer said that's his worst day as a manager, and I'm sure it is. But that is definitely one of the the worst performances. Um, one of the worst afternoons in the in the post Fergie years of, of Manchester United. I mean, it was absolutely dreadful, and and of course to have the the smirking one on the uh, on the opposite dugout as well just made it uh, an even bitterer pill to swallow. Um, so yeah, that's my initial summary. I'm going to hand over to you guys while I gather a few more thoughts, and uh, be good to get your your views on things uh, as well because I think you were both watching the game. So I don't know what you've got anything to say on that. Uh, from from a non-United fan perspective, Paul or Dan? So I, I don't know if, if it was just called my uh, my anti-Spurs bias, but I, re- I went into that game yesterday really fancying Manchester United to win it. And um, when they kind of got the the early penalty and went 1-0 up, you were thinking, well, you know, they, they've got the perfect start. Um, but I just thought they were really, really, really poor defensively, right from the, the equalising goal is just a catalogue of errors. Comedy um, goal. A comedy goal, Eric Bai given an opportunity to come back into the side in place of Lindelof and start a game, um, makes a, an absolute mess of the header. Um, Maguire doesn't deal with it, Luke Shaw's out of position. And and the sort of, even I suppose you can look at, at De Gea, does he, does, should he come and sort of command that situation in the six-yard box a bit more? Um but it was a complete mess of an equalising goal and it just went from bad to worse from, from that point, really. Uh, I thought the second goal, 
I think it was the second goal where Maguire commits the foul and Spurs take the quick free kick. Uh, Eric Bai stood as though he's playing right fullback. I don't know who he thinks he's defending in that space because the Spurs' danger is always in the middle, and then he's caught out. The ball slipped through, and uh, and as we know with uh, with Son, even from the the first weekend of the season or second weekend of the season, um, he's lethal when he gets into those positions and was never going to miss. And I I just thought they played with a complete absence of any sort of shape or structural confidence. Um, the defending is a real, real problem. I think the Manu Matic's legs have completely gone in front of the back four. He's offering no protection to the centre-halves at all. Maguire's started this season really, really struggling with his form. Now, I don't know if what happened over the summer's got anything to do with that or what happened over the break, but he's really struggling for his, his best form. And they just can't work out which of their other centre-halves is the best combination alongside him. I've never been a particularly big Eric Bailly fan, and, and I think that should probably be the nail in his Manchester United coffin <laughs> yesterday. I thought he was atrocious. Um, and equally, Luke Shaw and will come on to transfers, but I think everybody's known there's been a problem at left-back at Manchester United for some time now, and uh, he was exposed again, unfortunately. So I, I just think... The the back end of Manchester United's team is simply not good enough and Spurs were ruthless. Uh, we know they've got forward players who can do that to you, especially Son when he's on fire. Yeah, there's not not, not much to, to disagree with you there, Paul. I think, yeah, just, just on the defence side, there's been a lot of discussion be- between United fans around what, what the sort of, particularly the centre-back partnership should be. Um, you know, we have, I think it's actually, we have seven, technically seven registered centre-halves at the club, none of whom are arguably any good, um, <laughs> which is part, apparently part of the reason why we don't want to sign any more is because we've got so many on the payroll on big money and we can't shift them. And we're, we're playing hardball with, with Roma over Chris Morgan. Like, just, just let the guy go, get him off the books, let's move on. Um, and, and, and particularly with, uh, you know, the sort of who should who should partner Maguire debate, because I think as, as we've spent so much money on Maguire, I think it's accepted we have to start him, even though, as you say, he's not in good form. And I don't think he ended last season in good form. I thought the last few games, um, you know, towards the end of the, you know, post-lockdown period, I thought he looked like he was playing with a mistake in him. He didn't look sharp. And he seems to have carried that on um, and started really badly. And I think Eric, just to touch on Eric Bay, I think he's one of those classic examples of a player whose reputation had been enhanced through not playing. And a lot of United fans were like, give him a go, give him a go. Well, we've given him a go. And that's what happens. Um, you know, he's a very different centre after to Lindelof. They have different strengths and weaknesses. Both have a lot of weaknesses, but but they cancel each other out for me. There's no one that's obviously better than the other. Um, and neither are ultimately good enough. But, uh, you know, realistically, unless anything dramatic happens in the next <laughs> hour or two, we, you know, that that we've got to figure it out. And that's, that's you know, Solskjaer and, and his team have got to sort something out there and find a way to make it work uh, through the rest of the season because that that's what we've got now. Um, and my understanding is that, you know, Solskjaer has not identified it as a priority area. And we touched on this even a few weeks ago. <laughs> I said, I don't know why, but he, he obviously has a, a vision or a plan or something. But he, we need to start realising it because, uh, you know, we're already at the wrong end of the table. Um, I don't think anyone necessarily thought we were going to be winning the league this season. But, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're in danger of being a relegation scrap the way we're going. So we need to sort something out, particularly with all the... You know, all the other results in games and so on. There's, you can't take anything for granted this season. It's clearly going to be a bizarre one. And, um, yeah, we don't want to make ourselves one of the uh, the sorrier stories um, of, the, of the football season. So I think things need to change it quick. But just, just my, my final point really is, you know, you look at the games ahead. So after, you know, we have the break now and we'll wait and see. Sometimes international break can be a good thing because players can clear the heads I, I don't know if there's any actual evidence of that, but let's let's hope it is for our sake. But the game after that, we have we have Newcastle away, who beat us last season um, at St James's. So you know, not necessarily a happy hunting ground. Um, and then and then we have the, the Champions League rolls in, and we got with PSG. Um, and then we play and the next two league fixtures are Chelsea and Arsenal, right? And then Leipzig is in there as well. They don't get any easier. Like we, I mean, I look at those games and think, oh, where are we going to get points? <laughs> I just don't. I just don't see it at the moment. We we need to turn up after this break as a completely transformed side. Otherwise, we're really going to be in trouble. And it's only a couple more bad results. And I do think I do think Ole will start to become under come under genuine pressure. I don't think there's an appetite within the hierarchy to get rid of him. And a pre and it's all course. It's easier when you don't have eighty thousand fans in the ground. But I do think if if things don't go well 
um, after after the international break. I, I I do think you know sort of October into November could be a a really dicey month. Um, and if it goes badly, I think the decision may have to be made because at the moment it's it's been completely unacceptable. Um, and on that cheerful note, I will hand back to you, Dan. I, I look at you. I mean, I am completely throwing stones from inside glass houses after that fiasco last night. I, I look at United defensively, and I think that you play a line, a defensive line that's probably five yards too high for someone with Harry Maguire's pace. I actually. It's it's easy to criticise Harry Maguire because of the transfer fee. I actually think he's a really good player, but he is not. He's just not quick. And the way United try to play, try to to push on and trying to play attacking the football, I think it's it's just a recipe for for them to get caught out time and time again. And that's what happened yesterday. I, I mean, it's not like Tottenham took all the chances either. They did they did fluff the lines a couple of times. Um, yeah, well, like, no, they did. Oh, it, it could, it could that have first worked. half, yeah, that first half could have been six. It could have been six at half time. Yeah, the second half, I think Spurs kind of played a little bit in cruise control. But that first half, every time they got the ball, you thought they'll probably score here because Manchester United are all over the place. Yeah, and, and speaking of all over the place, um, I could go on for a long time about the Liverpool game. Um, obviously, we've got some time constraints. Um, I am embarrassed by that performance yesterday. I've been going to watch Liverpool since 1996, and I sorry 1995, and I have never seen a performance like it. When Villa scored after four minutes, it had been coming, which is incredible that you can already be worried about a game after four minutes. But I I had a feeling straight away that something wasn't right. Um, we haven't learned our lessons from the Atletico Madrid game, from the Chelsea Cup game, even from the Lincoln game a few weeks back when Tony the Tiger in goal, again, he is nowhere near as good as he thinks he is. He can't pass, he should just boot the ball downfield and he can't even do that, see the Atletico Madrid game. That's not something I'm over. It will take me a long while to go over his performance just there. The goalkeeper is an absolute fiasco. And we need to address that as soon as possible. But we're not going to do that because that's just not Jurgen Klopp's way. That is not a compliment. That is a criticism. Sometimes he's not ruthless enough. Adrian should have been fired off in the summer. Instead, we're left to pick up the pieces again. Because he keeps making mistakes that cost us games. Cost us entry into competitions. I am absolutely sick of the sight of him. He is garbage. And of course, it's not just him yesterday. I think Joe Gomez... Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what Joe Gomez was on yesterday, but it wasn't playing professional football. He was absolutely appalling. <laughs> His positional sense was shocking. His attempts to play off offside, shocking. The red team setup was absolutely naive and ridiculous. To have not learned your lesson and going down at four one down at half time and not think, well maybe this defensive line isn't working when you've got Jack Grealish and Ross Barkley bombing from midfield, getting onto the the ball every single time, getting in behind every single time. At that point, you swallow your medicine and say, "Well, actually, this isn't working. Let's reassess. Let's just go back to what we used to do, which is defend properly." And we just didn't learn our lesson. I mean, three of the goals were pretty horrible deflections, truth be told, as well, which doesn't help. But apart from probably Mohamed Salah, um, Diego Yota, and Andy Robertson, that is pathetic. It was absolutely appalling. And Cam, you've shown a great more deal, class and dignity in defeat than I have, but it was disgusting. I have never seen a performance like it. And 7-2 flattered us. That could have been double figures. And if Ross Barkley would have had his shooting boots on, it really could have been double figures. No joke, that could have been 10-2. We were awful. And that's about all I've got to say on it, apart from the fact I've mentioned that we were absolutely atrocious. <laughs> no, I, I think I think we should start on this one. And I mean, we probably should have mentioned it on the on the United game that, that Spurs were really, really good. Of and course. we shouldn't lose yes. lose sight of the fact that both Spurs and Aston Villa yesterday had really good game plans to expose um 
weaknesses that, that are there in Manchester United and, and obviously fewer weaknesses in Liverpool, but but you've already alluded to it, Dan, that, that temptation sometimes to just get a little bit obsessed with playing really, really high. I mean, when you press as much as Liverpool do, you naturally have to come and, and play, play high. But I think... Um, I think they've got a little bit sort of lost in the sense of, you know, you can only hold when there's pressure on the ball. And as soon as there isn't, you have to be willing to, to drop. And and it, it has been coming in the sense that Leeds exposed that that space in behind the fullbacks in exactly that way in week one of the season. Um, in that game that we talked about down where Leeds were unlucky not to get a result. Um, and I think, you know, to a certain extent, Liverpool haven't sort of learned the lesson in that regard. Um, I do wonder a little bit, and it might be a strange thing to say about a team that's just shipped seven. But I wonder if they miss Mane a little bit. And, and I know it's, it's, it's weird to blame the lack of a striker for the fact a team concedes seven. But I think he is the trigger for so much of Liverpool's press at the front end. Uh, and as I say, what, what, what's different at the moment is, or certainly was different in that game yesterday, is Liverpool weren't getting as much pressure on the, the Villa player playing the forward ball. And that's why they found that that line was a little bit easier exposed with runs in behind. It's very, very hard to hold a high line when there's no pressure on the ball because it gives the attacking player all the advantage in the world in terms of timing that run. When there's no pressure, you've got to be ready as a centre-half to, to, to start to drop. Um, and I think Liverpool got exposed with it. There were some lucky deflections from the Villa goals and that brings me to kind of picking up on this this idea that luck evens itself out in a football season. And I don't believe it does, but I do think it evens itself up eventually. And Liverpool didn't deserve to win the game they won at Villa last season. And I wonder a little bit if those deflections, it felt at one point as though every time Villa had a shot, it was taking a crazy deflection and ending up in the net. Um, I, I wonder a little bit if that was the world just evening out, maybe the, the slightly unfortunate circumstances in which Villa lost that, that game last season. Um, but yeah, clearly 7-2 is a you know, strange result for a, a team of champions to get beaten by. Um, to sort of round the two off together in terms of my thoughts on, on both of the crazy results is uh, I think Liverpool, it's a little bit easier, although their, their waveforms become a bit inconsistent, it's a little bit easier to sort of wipe your face, put it down to just one of those days, everyone has them every now and again and move on. Um, I think at Manchester United that there is more of a sort of sustainable long-term problem that, that needs to be solved. Yeah, I couldn't 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 agree more. Um, I think you know from from Liverpool's perspective, I I don't see Klopp hitting the panic button. You know, I think he'll think, well, I had my first choice, you know, genuine world class goalkeeper out or unavailable. Similar, and I think you're absolutely right about Mane. They, they definitely miss him. He, he makes them tick. Um, you, you know, you can make a very good case from being simply their best player. To be quite honest with you, so any, any any team, yeah, any team would miss him. Um, and, you know, when he centre halves out of mare. And I, I think there's an element of, you know, yes, OK, there's the, the high line has been discussed, but there's also an element of just, is it just a really bad day at the office, you know? And like you say, just dust yourself down. Don't need to panic. You're the league champions. You're the champions for a reason. And, and, and carry on, you know, and, and go away to the international break and come back and, and show everyone, you know, what, what you can do when you've got, hopefully when the quarantine periods are over and assuming there's no, uh, you know, longer term, longer term issues with them. We wish them, wish them well with the, uh, with the Rona, but, um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't, I think you're absolutely right, Paul. It's not a long-term thing with Liverpool. I think you look at that game and yes, I mean, it is, you know, it is, it is embarrassing and was pretty shocking and I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing, but I don't think there's like deep rooted issues that have caused it. Whereas, um, you know, United's have a lot more longer term issues there, which we will run out of time. So I won't cover them now, but I think I've mentioned them on some of the some of these previous podcasts as well. And I think that's more the problem there, that there isn't an easy fix for United, whereas I think there are easier fixes for Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, I'm not panicking. I'm just very, very angry. Um, I I thought it was um, atrocious. Honestly, I don't have the words. I keep going back to atrocious, awful. I, I I don't have the words to articulate just how bad we were. It, it's the worst performance I've ever seen from Liverpool, and you know I, I've seen us lose at home to Blackpool under Roy Hodgson, and the later days of Benitez weren't fun. We didn't throw in anything like this at any point. It was 
I genuinely thought Aston Villa were going to score every time they went forward. Not every goal was the goalkeeper's fault, but the the first goal, you, you're under pressure after four minutes. You don't do that. Um, you just clear the ball downfield and just take a breath, let midfield deal with it, keep it away from your goal, just while you're struggling a little bit. As we, and we were, after four minutes, the writing was on the wall, I thought. Um, the second goal, Joe Gomez, like, what, what's he doing not putting Ollie Watkins onto his left foot? You know, he's, he's inviting him onto his strong side and he's, he's curled in. Lovely finish. And as as you, you rightly said, Paul, and I hold my hands up, I didn't say well-played Aston Villa. They were terrific. They were first to every ball. They completely outplayed us, outfought us, outfought us. Yeah, respect to them. Um, and you two know me well enough to say me giving anyone any credit for anything that's not Liverpool hurts. So good on them. They deserve to win, and they deserve to, they deserve for it to be by five goals as well. It could have been more. Luckily for us, yeah, Mohamed Salah was in mood. It's 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 funny you uh, that you you mentioned the. Um... The game last season, Paul, actually, because that, from what I can tell, that was the, the game where they scored those two late goals at Villa Park, where most Liverpool fans said they started to believe, you know, that, that the title would would happen. So yeah, it's quite an interesting <laughs> uh, sort of game to think back to. That uh, almost it was not necessarily revenge from Villa's perspective because it didn't didn't necessarily make a huge amount of difference to Villa's season. But um, does I don't know I don't know what the right word is sort of serendipity to it that uh, they go there and actually this year they do get sort of properly turned over. But there you go, that's yeah. that's football. Well, as I say, they always say it evens itself out. I'm never convinced it necessarily does over a season, but maybe eventually uh, the sort of <laughs> karma lines up and, and maybe there was a little bit of that. But I, again, I don't want to take anything away from the fact that I think Villa were really good yesterday and they've started the season fantastically, three from three. Um, you know, other than, than Everton, they're the only 100% team in the league. Uh, and, and at the start of the season, we were still questioning, is it another relegation battle for Villa? Well, if they keep playing like that, they won't have any problems. Done whatsoever. Um, if we then gratefully move away from Adrian, defensive problems, goals, and general disappointment, um, today is happy deadline day. Um, the black and white is out on Sky Sports News. The window is about to slam shut. Theo Walcott is having his medical ahead of a loan move to Southampton. Everton have spent more money on Ben Godfrey from Norwich, who I know is a player Liverpool have looked at. Um, what what a fiasco this this is on on Sky Sports. The the, the you know, Jim White is screaming at the top of his voice, presumably because I've got it muted, not because just because I'm doing a podcast, because I don't want to listen to Jim White screaming. Um, you know, like, where do we both stand on the um, on the transfer window, gents? I, I think it's it's a bit of an outdated concept now. I think really it's it, it, it it's a bit pointless now. I think it's served its purpose. Well, I, I guess it's. Are you suggesting? by that Dan that that it should kind of go back to how it was where you can just buy and sell sort of at any point through the year then essentially is yeah that, is the, that Apple, the Apple window yeah the, 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 that for me was the, the right way because now you get this fiasco where you, you're going to get some bonehead spending 25 million on a play and I'm not saying that's Everton by the way it's, that just happens to be how much <laughs> they paid for Ben Godfrey you, you, you'll get some bonehead team paying 25 million on, on deadline day for, for no reason yeah, I mean, it does It does absolutely introduce a panic-buying mentality. And for anyone who's seen, uh, you know, the Sunderland documentary showed that in uh, in quite in quite a light. And I'm sure there's hundreds of examples of, of sort of wasted money, and particularly at a time when, you know, clubs should be mindful of their of their finances. And we've, we've already talked on some of these podcasts around clubs who've had, you know, real financial difficulties. You know, this is a, a mechanism introduced by football to essentially increase... Uh, you know, increase spending and increase that kind of panic spending, um, which is not really good for clubs. And I think there are some there are some clubs that are ran well and manage it very well and, and sort of don't get sucked into it. But then, unfortunately, as we know, not all football club owners are particularly responsible or know necessarily what they're doing. Um, and, it you know, it, it can result in clubs getting themselves into trouble by by bringing people in either on a big fee or on big money or both and then getting stuck with them when they realise um, that they've, you know, they've bought someone that isn't right, 
um, because they were rushed into it. Because I'm sure, you know, I guess we don't see what happens behind the scenes, but you can just imagine the flurry of of messages and so on going round from agents of oh, I've got this player, I've got that player, and you know they know that someone will bite, and it just it just exacerbates that. So I think there perhaps does need to be something done about it. I, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a fan of it because it's a, it's a kind of a fake construct in football, really. So I, I try to ignore it, really, in all honesty. Um, unfortunately, the, the club I support seems to be one of those that, because it definitely isn't run well from a footballing perspective. And unfortunately, we do have someone in charge of making the deals who does fall into these traps um, more often than not. So I've kind of seen that side of it as well. Um, you know, of, of players coming in and you just think, well, you know, why? You know, we don't need them and they're on, they're on you know, crazy amounts of money um, and they hang around the club for, for a couple of years, barely play and, you know, trot off with their, with their £20 million or whatever we pay them. You just think, what was the point of that? And and the window absolutely does force some of those um, those panic decisions. So I think that there's there's an element on, on clubs to just, you know, try and actually behave responsibly. But then I think there is a question to the authorities of, well, how can we sort of manage this better? So, you know, clubs still have a chance to do the business they need to do, but they're not just, it's not just like, a, you know, a sort of a, an Amazon Prime day, you know, and just some <laughs> crazy fire sale, which is unfortunately seems to be the direction it's, it's been going in uh, for the last few years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree with a lot of what, um, a lot of what Con said. I think uh, it definitely has increased the panic buy um, element of it. I, I think there's, the, the reason that it was introduced uh, which I think was a um, a decent objective was to avoid the situation where um, you know little clubs starts the season very well gets to about November and big club who were a little bit struggling not having a great start to the season come along and just take three of the best players from from the smaller club uh, th- that was the kind of idea and it it started in Italy it was an Italian concept originally this idea that you protect the smaller clubs by giving them some certainty um, that their squad would stay together at least for half a season. And then there's the, there's obviously the January window. I mean, I, I think I have more problem with the January window, if I'm honest, than with the, than with the summer window. I kind of think it's a bit of a halfway house that I'm not sure needs to be there. Either we say the squad you start the season with should be the squad that you play the season with and there should be one window for doing transfers and it should be in the summer and everyone should do it then or we say actually it creates too much of a panic by culture and we need to do away with transfer windows almost altogether. and I, I take your point Dan that there used to be a window that closed at you know the mid-April window or whatever it was, just for the final four to to six weeks of the season to sort of protect the integrity of the league um, and avoid teams kind of you know, you know you need two wins from your last two games and you go and spend a fortune on a centre forward. I, I kind of I, I see that there needs to be something, but I do think we're a little bit between two stools with it. Um, I think the fact that in in England what we've done is created this sort of ridiculous temporary fix outside of the Premier League where the window never really shuts because you can sign people and you if you want to sign them permanently, you just sign them on loan until the next window and then turn it into a permanent. Um, I think that tells you that there's something that's not quite working with it. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not 100% convinced what the solution is. I actually, part of my solution would be I think we need to go back to a situation where Premier League clubs can't loan players between one another. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that Premier League clubs can loan players to one another. Just a nonsense. Um, it encourages stockpiling because if I've got four right-backs and I'm Arsenal or Manchester United, it's fine because I'll be able to turf two of them out to Fulham or West Brom. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, I just don't think that helps anybody. I think it's a really strange system uh so there are definitely things we can do to to improve it i think in fairness some of the chaos has has gone out of it in the last couple of years at least in this this end of the summer window um although it does seem to be as khan says the same badly run clubs and minds the same list as his uh who seem to always have a deal that's still going on at the very last minute um you know i i i think it does sort of play towards those who've not done their planning and not done their forward thinking. Well, Jamie Redknapp and Harry Redknapp are doing a father and son 
special now until the window closes. I believe it, it's it's a bit of a circus, isn't it? A, a lot of the uh, a lot of people like the deadline day, not because of the football aspect, because of the theatre. Because you have people having dildos shoved in the rear live on television. <laughs> or... yeah, Sky have turned it into a game show. Yeah, yes, absolutely. They have, absolutely. And they've they've, they've 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 deliberately done it, and they've yeah they've created this sort of weird you know, kind of culture around it. And it is, it is very strange. Um, I, th- I think it does as well. And, and, you know, I think you made some, some really valid points there as well, Paul. It does. Un- unfortunately, I don't think you can talk about the sort of foot transfer deadline or, 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 or sort of transfer window without, I think, opening up the, the bigger can of worms of sort of money and football generally, because it does also hit on, I think, you know, money, you know, cap caps on, we are wage caps and uh, and transfer fee sizes and things like that. I think they're all interlinked. So, and, and let's face it, we know there's no appetite at the top of the game to to stop any of that anytime soon. But I, I personally think it's all just interlinked as part of that. I don't know if we sort of dealing with a, a transfer window in itself would necessarily change some of the bad habits and behaviours that the, the, some of these clubs uh, display at the moment. It would need a, a bigger sort of root and branch systemic change that we just know is not going to be driven from FIFA or UEFA because it's frankly just not in their interest. I mean, that's certainly true. I think I think just the fact that Sky have turned this into theatre as well has made it a, a, you know, a money event. I, I don't know the figures, but I suspect Sky Sports do quite well out of advertising slots on transfer deadline day. Um, you know, when they go for their breaks every 15 minutes, I suspect you pay more than you would on an average Monday to have a um, an advert on transfer deadline, um, especially if it's, you know, the sports booti- uh, sports betting sites and, and, and everything else. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's definitely no financial imperative for the game to change it. But I, yeah, it, it feels as though the sort of... Um, the, the sort of cottage industry it's created of kind of panic buying of footballers and stockpiling of footballers is not good for the game and it's not good for the competitive balance either. If we then move from the farce of the transfer deadline there to the actual mechanics of transfers, uh, wh- wh- who do you think has, has won the window? Who do you think has had the, be- the best window and who's had the worst? For me, I think Everton have probably had one of the stronger windows. I hate saying it. I think Leeds have recruited smartly. Um, United seem to be getting players in, but it, it all looks a bit short. Um, and Fulham and West Brom look way, way, way short. Yeah, it's a good question. Who's had good windows? I think definitely Everton. I mean, I think I think uh, we've talked about them before. I'm still not convinced the squad is entirely as balanced as it as it could be. But equally, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's had one one window at it, and and it will take him some time because we've talked before about the fact that it was a mishmash of the squad he came into with four different managers worth of players sort of knocking about. Um, so you know they've definitely done good business, and and James is clearly a very talented player. Dukure was one of the best players in that sort of lesser fancied clubs in the league category for a long time at Watford. Um, so they've. They've definitely done well out of the window. I agree Leeds seem to have done some relatively smart business. Um, I think what's been good about Leeds is they've not overbought. You know, they've not gone and signed 15 players, uh, as maybe Fulham did, if we remember last time they came up, and and Villa did to an extent last year. Leeds have sort of ridden the wave of the players who got them there, the likes of Click and Bamford, who are good football players, and... um, you know Cooper at the back, so they, they've they've stuck with some of the guys they've got that that have got them there. Uh, I, I mean, I think on paper, and it, and it hasn't quite transpired on the pitch yet. I think on paper, Chelsea have brought a lot of good players into the club. Um, it hasn't quite clicked on the field, and I think we talked last week about questions whether Frank really knows what his best eleven is at this stage, and that might take some time to to mould together. But I think they've got some really good players there. I, I, you know, I. Fan of Chilwell, I think he's a good player. I think Thiago Silva maybe only get a year out of him, but he's, you know, he's been a top-class defender and he, he's still got a bit left. I think Havertz has, has started really well. Werner's not quite clicked into gear yet, so there's, there's a question mark there. But I think Chelsea have generally brought some good players into the club. Um, it, it, it will just take some time. My own club, I think, you know, my reflection on our sort of signings to this point and who knows whether we'll make another one before 11 o'clock but I think Gabriel's been an absolute revelation at the back I think he he just looks like the sort of player we've missed for 
you know, arguably since sort of Sol Campbell and, and Yaya Toure slowed down. He's an old-fashioned, physical, quick, good-in-the-air um, centre-half, and, and we maybe haven't had that sort of player for, for quite some time. Um, so I think he, he's definitely improved us. Uh, and Willian, albeit, you know, we've paid, a, paid him a fortune for a, for a man of his age, has definitely given us something, again, that, that we lacked a little bit last year. We definitely need the central midfield player in. So if uh, if this party deal comes comes to fruition from the uh from Atletico Madrid by by 11 p.m. I think it is then um then that'll be a big addition cuz we're still short in the middle of midfield. Party certainly is one of the most impressive midfielders I've seen at Anfield for a while. Uh he was really really impressive in that Atletico Madrid game that we should not speak of. Um calm <laughs> all a bit chaotic at United. I mean it, it seems to be Ed Woodward's mantra. The offer for uh, Jim Sancho never seemed to get higher than 300 quid and a copy of Girly World. Um, you've been pursuing that deal. Yeah, all it's amazing that it's... Uh, Borussia Dortmund <laughs> didn't go for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a desperately bad situation at, at Manchester United transfer-wise. But it's, it's unfortunately, it's a familiar story that we're used to now. Um, because yeah, we don't have people at the club who know what they're doing. Quite frankly, when it comes to to, to buy, identifying and, and buying and selling players, um, and it goes down to you know the, the the contracts we put our current players on, meaning that we can't then sell them um, because the type of clubs they're willing to go to, or the type of clubs that want them, I should say, can't uh, can't afford the, the wage because the type of clubs they'd want to go to aren't interested for a good reason. <laughs> uh, and, you yeah, know, it's, we, it's we, like, we've got that problem as well, Con. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also think it's now having the impact where, you know, we're kind of getting, and we've, we've sort of driven ourselves into this corner where we're also now getting like fifth or sixth pick, if you like, if you almost think of the transfer market as a, as a sort of draft, if I can draw a, a weird parallel there. You know, it's like we're now at a point where, you know, actually, if you were an up-and-coming you know, player in your position, would, would Man United be in your top six, top ten clubs you'd want to play for? I mean, really, you know? Um, I mean, I appreciate, of course, we're, we're a big name and everything, but, um, you know, you, you look at us now and, yeah, there's, there's better options around Europe. And if one of them came in for you, um, the only way we can do it is by signing the, them on, on huge contracts. That's the only way we get deals over the line um, because we are a bit of a mess. So we, the only way we can do it is by by uh, making those sort of pound signs uh, ring up. And then and then immediately that tells you a bit about the player, you know, that, oh, well, it, they've come to us because of the money. Um, you know, Liverpool, if you look at how Liverpool and even to an extent City haven't recruited like that. And as a result, they've actually got, um, you know, a proper gelled together squad of players who are sort of working for a, you know, in a, in a common fashion for for a single reason, um, and playing for their manager, and we we don't have that. We just have a ragtag mishmash, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've we've you know we've signed this lad today, Tellers. So let let's see how we how he gets on. I mean, he looks like he was a you know started off I think at Galatasaray in in, in Turkey, and he was a little bit of a journeyman, and it seems to have settled in in Portugal, um, and hopefully. Uh, you know, hopefully, he, you know, he'll give us a bit, bit more of an option. And, and well, let's face it, I don't think Luke, you know, Luke Shaw didn't cover himself in glory <laughs> yesterday. So, uh, and arguably should have been sent off. We didn't really touch on that, but uh, he was very lucky. So, I think it's fair to say we can definitely improve there. But you know, let, let's be honest, that's not all of a sudden going to turn us into a, a great team, right? I mean, I, you know, I hope, I hope that he's good, and it, it's always, it's, you know, it's good to get people in in areas where you need them. But uh, that's not going to be a, a transformational point in the history of Man United, is it really? So there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, quickly touch on the Sancho point because you mentioned it. I mean, I, I don't know if it was ever realistically going to happen, to be quite honest with you. It felt like a media circus sort of drummed out of the club um, in order to, uh, you know, to sort of give the fans that hope. And we've seen this happen, um, you know, during the, the sort of Woodward era uh, where these big names, you know, get leaked to the press and then they just hang around for three months and nothing ever happens. We've seen it before and I'm sure we'll see it again. And I think Sancho is just going to be another one that we say is, is added to that list, um, unfortunately. So, uh, 
yeah, it looks like we're basically going into the season with with what we've got. So it's 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 sort of over to you, over to you, Ole and <laughs> and coaching staff to to make it happen. That's that's what they're there for. So you know they've they've got to they've got to do with what what they have. And I, and I do feel bad for Ole because obviously you know, and I touched on it earlier. You know that if a decision has to be made, you know it'll be him that goes. Uh, you know, it won't be Ed Woodward. It won't be the Glazers. It won't be the players. Um, it'll be him. And I think he will be a bit of a scapegoat. Like he is out of his depth, but equally. You know, I don't know if there are many managers that would do a drastically better job because we've tried a few and they haven't. You know, so um, I, you know, I do. I will feel a bit sorry for him when you know it kind of gets the feeling now is almost when he inevitably goes before Christmas. Um, I will feel feel a little bit sorry for him because it's not really his fault. Um, and whoever comes in afterwards, I'm sure they'll be lumbered, unfortunately, with a lot of the same problems. Um, but anyway, I don't want to turn this into uh, Man United part two. We've done, we've done as well. I'll, I'll hand back to you, Dan, to steer us on the right course. Unfortunately, Colin, the one big name who was leaked to the press and then did sign was Paul Pogba. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that worked out so well, didn't it? I mean, he clearly just does not want to be at the club and couldn't get monkeys. Um, so, I mean, I, I hope that we do, uh, after the break, that we, we bring in, you know, the new lad, Van der Beek, and, and you know, he, he looks all right. You know, he looks good. Um, so I'd say give him give him a run. Um I'm just bench bench Pogba, you know, if he's not match fit, he's not trying, um, just doesn't care. And and obviously, yeah, now now he's probably realised that you know Madrid and Barca, they've had a look and thought, no thanks, why why would we want him to be our problem? <laughs> you know, and fair play to them. Uh, so it looks like we're stuck with him for the foreseeable, which is great. <laughs> Bre- breaking news here, Paul, in in black and white, obviously. Sorry, no, black and yellow. Uh, Arsenal meet 45 million release clause for Thomas Party, so. Obviously, Mikel Arteta has found some money at the back of a sofa. Well, yeah, this is slightly slightly weird, Dan. I mean, I am glad we talked briefly last week, didn't we, about Arsenal being in for two midfielders. Um, and I'm, I'm glad we signed Party because I can't say the kid from Leon's name. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it seems strange that on, on Friday we couldn't meet what was seemed to be a very similar fee for, for the boy from Leon. Um, and I don't know if, you know, knowing the Leon owner, uh, chairman, there were other conditions attached to that, quite likely. Uh, but suddenly they found some pocket change uh, to to get them over the line for for party. We did need a body in the field as well. Torreira's gone out to Atletico, and I think uh, Guendouzi's gone on well to her to Berlin today. So, so we, we did need a body in there. When I, when I heard that they'd let Guendouzi go as well this morning, I did rather think hmm, maybe they're not quite as done as it sounds uh, just because of the numbers game in midfield. Uh, breaking news here, Khan. Roma signed Chris Morley from Man United. Don't know if it's a permanent deal or not, or a loan deal. Um, I'm sure Jim White has screamed it, but as I say, I've muted him because I don't like him very much. Um, from... <laughs> Jim White or Chris Smalling? Well, I was referring to, uh, to Jim White. Chris Smalling has not done anything to offend me. And to be <laughs> honest with you, I, I don't see how he, he could do any worse at United than, than anyone on the bar, bar Harry Maguire, but there we go. Um, I mean, that, that, that that's a really good point, though, Dan. I know there's a lot of water under the bridge at Manchester United with Chris, Chris Smalling. I think Chris Smalling's a better centre-back than Eric Bailly and uh, Victor Lindelof. Well, it's not hard to be a better centre half of it to Lindelof, to be honest. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I think United would be would be better with Chris Smalling. Can do you want to have a go, or have you, have you said you had your piece? <laughs> well, like, do, do you know what? I, I sort of wish him well because I think, from what I can tell, it's one of those uh, sort of low moves that actually had, the reason he's going back there is it, it did work out really well for all concerned. I think the player was happy there. Um, I think the club liked him, the fans liked him. So, in, in all honesty, I think. Uh, you're right. There is there is a bit of a water under the bridge situation. I don't know if bringing him back into the fold now, if what he actually wanted is to move back there, would really help anyway. Because if you've then got a player who doesn't want to be there, just regardless of ability, and we've just talked about Pogba, you know, I don't think that helps. So I think it's just one of those. And, and I see even even said it earlier. You know, just just get the deal done, get it, get him off the books, and, and let let it let let's move on. Um, I think it does look like I've just seen an update that it has gone for 15 million euros apparently. So. Like I say, we, we wish him well and best of luck to him over there. That doesn't sound like an Italian club's deal because that's normally a uh, loan with a view to buy, maybe, if we decide we want to pay. Next <laughs> but we'll probably offer you another loan because that tends to be how Italian transfers work. It's well, I think that was, that was last summer, basically. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we have at least managed to uh, to prise some cash out of them. So there you go. It, it took Liverpool three years to get rid of Alberto Aquilani. 
There is a reason for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, he, he played about four games, didn't he, in his career at Liverpool? He, he played a few games, but he was just incessantly injured. And a, a friend of mine who who now works for FIFA, actually, he um, he, he was an Italian journalist, and he, he said to me, Aquilani is not suited for the Premier League and it will be a disastrous signing. Wow, was he right. Um, just why would we talk about Liverpool transfers? Um, I'm pretty happy with our window. Um, I think we're a centre-half short. I don't trust Joe Gomez or Joe Matip to avoid injury. When they're fit, they're generally very, very good. Um, Joe Gomez, the exception yesterday, um, and I, I'm generally very happy with our squad. Um, Thiago, we've not really seen too much of since he signed for a couple of unfortunate reasons. Um, and I'm very happy with, with what I've seen of Yota so far. I think he's looked really impressive, um, carries a threat, and he was just that extra wide forward that we needed. So, yeah, a centre-half would have been lovely, but we're going with Fabinho as our fourth-choice centre-half, and that's all there is to it. There's no point complaining about it, because that's what's been determined. We can all revisit that in... Is, is the window still in January? That's not been scrapped, has it? That was still open on the 1st of, December, on the 1st of January, won't it? I think so. I don't think they've moved the January window. I think it. I think it will open as normal. That's where. That's where I thought. Um, speaking of January, it feels as though we're we're going to be playing international football till January. Um, you part. You call it the uh, the intergalactic league of nations, Paul. Um, why are we playing international football now? What, what what purpose does it serve? We've got a pandemic going on. Why just just why why are we playing international football now? Nobody cares. The players don't particularly care. Why? So I think there are some games this this week or this this fortnight that matter because the final playoffs for the European Championships that should have taken place last summer that will take place next summer, I believe, will be played this week. So I can see an argument for those games taking place that you know they obviously need to finalise the teams going to the tournament. Um, so that, that you know, there is arguably a call for for a, a window of some sort at some stage. Um, I'm not sure they needed it now, frankly. I'd have been tempted to say there was no it. I don't think there should have been a, an international break before the season kicked off in August. I thought that was all, you know, just as the season was going to kick off, sort of end of August, start of September. I thought that was ridiculous in the circumstances. Um, though that week could easily have been used to get domestic football around the continent off and running. Um, I think that there is probably a need for one window. It could easily have come in November. We could have scrapped the October window. We don't need to play games in the Intergalactic League of Nations. <laughs> yeah, OK, it's better than friendlies. Don't get me wrong, I agree. The quality of the games is better than international friendlies. It's been a good thing. But it's not better than not playing any international football in a year when we really don't need it because of everything else that's going on. And I just think they should have set, taken the decision that we're not going to go ahead with that. We'll have one break in November. Teams who need to play off to get into the European Championships can play off. Um, countries who, who are already qualified who are not, or who are not qualified and aren't in playoffs, play a friendly if you must. But let's just get on with it. Um, I'm not really sure why we need an international break now and then another one in November. And then there'll no doubt be that midweek one in February and there'll be one in March. So <laughs> it, it just feels like in the circumstances that we're in at the moment, when we're asking countries to truncate competitions, whether that's getting rid of replays in our FA Cup, whether it's getting rid of the two-legged semi-finals in the League Cup, when domestic football associations have been asked to make sacrifices, it does leave one wondering exactly what sacrifice UEFA have made. <laughs> well, they're known for making lots, aren't they? <laughs> well, I think the, the other thing is as well, um, you know, we've obviously mentioned that the reason we're having this conversation more so now is because of, you know, the COVID situation. And do you, do you also think that there's going to be a you know a, a spike in cases when all the players return, um, and which could then have a knock-on effect on on domestic games as well? Because players have been travelling around and obviously playing against players they wouldn't normally be, or playing with players they wouldn't normally be. Like surely there's a risk there. We've already seen it happening in the last few weeks. Um, 
you know, and obviously everyone will be hoping that it happens more of a, a David Moyes situation than a, perhaps a, a Mane. But, um, but, you know, it's already starting to happen on a weekly basis. And surely this international break is just ripe for disaster in that front that the players, are, you know, I mean, personally, obviously there's two elements. There's obviously the players and the staff's health that we want to think about as well, not just necessarily the impact on the team. But, you know, from both perspectives, it just doesn't seem like a smart thing to be doing from that perspective, as well as, you know, everything. <laughs> else you just said which I couldn't agree more with so it just it seems completely bizarre and, and completely unnecessary um you know especially for for friendlies and nations league it, it just it's wrong you know wrong thing wrong time um and yeah it seems seems madness that it's going ahead to be quite honest with you and we need idea. to trust the players because you know the in the last international break obviously we had the incident with with phil foden and mason greenwood um, mm-hmm. Again, breaking the protocols that were set out. Don't want to get into what they were or weren't doing. That's probably better for a different type of podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that, that was an incident on the last break. We're already seeing this afternoon that Ben Chilwell and, and Jordan Sancho went to a, a birthday party for Tammy Abraham the other day where there were more than six people. So England have told them to delay their arrival at the squad. Um they, they missed a the game risk. on Thursday now because of that. They, exactly, they miss a game on Thursday because of that. There's there's a risk of infection. Like these are young men uh, who you know have got a huge amount of money and frankly have a lot of spare time because training to be a professional footballer they don't train seven hours a day like you or I go to work. Um, so, so you're asking a lot of players to to really behave in a uh, sensible way and I think there is a bit more control that happens when players have a, a routine that involves going to their club every day than when that routine is broken and I think it's going to be really hard in these international camps players to be sensible and adhere to the protocols in the way that they mix and in the way that they behave um, and as I say this is already the second incident in two international breaks where we've we've seen something like that happen. Has Pep Guardiola channeling his in, um, inner Ferguson and getting people to deliberately miss international football? Frank the same, Frank Lampard might have decided to have a chat with uh, Tammy Abraham and Ben Chilwell. Well, I think sure there, was a, play for there, was, there was a bit of a, a bit of a to-do between uh, Mourinho, wasn't there, and uh, Southgate about, um, about Harry Kane. So I think, uh, yeah, some managers are taking the opportunity to... To stick the boot in, <laughs> so to speak. Not that it's Gareth Southgate's fault. No, of course it's not. Um, no, it's not Gareth Southgate's fault. He's left with an almost impossible job. He knows that the clubs really don't want their players going away in these circumstances. What's he supposed to do? Announce that he's picked an England squad of zero people. I mean, he's left <laughs> with uh, with no choices. He's got to pick a squad yeah. and, and prepare for a game. But yeah, FIFA and, and UEFA have got to surely come together and have a proper think about the calendar, Um, especially because we're already heading for the disruption in the calendar that we know we've got coming in two years' time when we're having the World Cup at Christmas. Uh, Are we we playing too much football generally at the moment? This is kind of a a general topic that um, I I want to come on to. I mean, Khan, you you were laughing the other day because obviously we've known each other for a long time, and I've always called it the, the Carling Fizzy Pop Pointless Cup. Um, that's in reference to the, the Carabao Cup, as it's now called, and it just feels to me as though we're galloping through that competition by playing a, a game a week. And so, are we having the, the, the final on Christmas Day or something? We seem to be in a tremendous rush to get through that that competition, and you, you've got like Liverpool and Arsenal played each other on the Monday night, and then made wholesale changes for a rematch three days later, and then suddenly. Arsenal play again and Liverpool playing again, so it's three games in a week. Spurs played four games in a week, didn't they? Because they had the, the, or am I mistaken? I, I, either way, no, no, Jose you, you, was you, not you, pleased. You're right, Dan. They played four times in a week. I don't think Jose mentioned it at all, though. I think no. he was very dignified about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think interesting, man. I, I actually quite like the fact that the, the league cups a bit more sort of thick, thick, thick and fast. It's actually made me a bit more interested in it. But I think you've you've interestingly touched on something there, in, in, inadvertently or not. That it's actually not it's not the tournaments that's the problem. It's the number of games. And um, the tournaments can be interesting, but they've been bloated to the point where they're not interesting. Um, by by UEFA predominantly um, because more games equals more money for everyone who makes money out of football. 
It's quite simply, it's, and, and that's why the Nations League's happening. The Nation League is as a sponsored tournament. And those sponsored, like, well, we've, we've given you money so that we can stick our branding up when football games are played. So what are you going to do about that? If there's no games, we want our money back. And UEFA would rather have the games go ahead than, than do that because getting money out of UEFA does not happen. Yeah, um, it's, it's so, sponsorship so I think, and, and TV money come on. For, yeah, so they've yeah, sold yeah, the yeah. TV it's, rights it's, for the Nations League in yeah. a way that, you know, it's very piecemeal for friendly games, not for the Nations League. There's a broadcast package that comes with yeah. it. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, it's not, it's not the... And like you say, the, the Nations League in itself, isn't isn't a bad thing it's it's definitely been a good one of the better inventions we've had from uh, the gods of football um over the last few years it it, it isn't a bad thing but like i said the, the tournaments aren't necessarily the problem it's the way that they're played um that, that they've just been bloated to the point of ridiculousness and actually what we have seen and it's obviously happened out of necessity but these kind of you know quicker quicker tournaments that we've had you know in terms of like the champions league and the europa league and it's sort of happening with the league cup it genuinely i think it makes it more exciting i think it's more fun like i prefer it um, rather than sort of you know bloating them out over the course of a season and playing the same team seventeen times just to decide who gets to go and play away in Romania you know the next month or whatever it's uh, you know it has got ridiculous but we we know the reasons for that and I'm sure as soon as it can it will revert back to it but uh, actually it's one of the one of the few things that I'm actually quite enjoying about how football is at the moment um, uh, is is these kind of slightly different different formats. Um, because it ultimately means less games, and you you get to you get to results quicker. You know, you get you get to move through them quicker rather than yeah, sort of playing two legs for everything and endless group game. Particularly, you can tell I follow a team that's been in the Europa League for the last few years. <laughs> um, it's just endless game after game after game, and you've barely heard of any of the opponents. Um, and it is whereas yeah, if if we can cut some of that out, then it's 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 not a bad thing in my view. Well, well, I. I... Have heard of one of Arsenal's opponents in the uh, Europa League this year because apparently Dundalk are in it. I mean, well done to Dundalk for getting to the group stage of the Europa League. Who who knew? Um, it's a, it's a shame for them because I'm uh, I'm sure if you're a Dundalk fan, your team getting drawn in a in a European group to play against Arsenal would have been a fantastic away day. Um, you know, to have a few days in London and. Uh, and see Dundalk play at the Emirates Stadium, and obviously they're not going to get that chance, which you know is is really unfortunate. Or it doesn't look like they're going to get that chance on, unless something changes very um, dramatically with the situation we're facing. But I, I think you know everything Khan said right. That the competitions themselves aren't the problem. It's the number of competitions and the number of games and the way that they're scheduled that's really difficult. And I think. Um, there's an argument. I think the way that the end of the Champions League and Europa League competitions happened last year as a sort of you know, week-long kind of festival of football type environment, I think there's an argument for saying that that should be something they pursue more um, as a matter of course. Hopefully that then frees up a couple of extra midweeks as you go through the season, which gives the uh, the national authorities a bit more flexibility. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago when um, I think it was Chelsea were doing well in Europe and were in the semi-final of both domestic cups. And they literally got to the point where there were no midweeks that they were allowed to play. And even when they got knocked out of the Champions League, UEFA was saying, well, they can't play that midweek because that would be the semi-final. I think they got the quarter-final in the Champions League and the semi-final midweeks, they're like, well, now we can catch up in our, in our Premier League games. And UEFA was saying, well, you'll have to play on Monday night because you can't play on Tuesday or Wednesday because they are blocked off for the Champions League. I mean, it's absolute nonsense. It's crazy. It's, like... it's absolute nonsense. The idea that the FA can't schedule games when they want to schedule them in case anyone turns off Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund. I think you have to be realistic about it and think Chelsea fans, given a choice between watching the semi-final between two German teams or watching Chelsea play... Aston Villa are going to are going to watch Chelsea play Aston Villa. That's football. Every I mean, time. that's the way it works. It's the same nonsense with the three o'clock kickoff, the three o'clock shut off. Like a Macclesfield. Well, sorry, that's a terrible example. Um, like I, I can't think of any clubs. <laughs> My mind's gone completely. Blank. Northampton. A, Northampton. A, a Northampton Town fan is not gonna like. Not what go and watch Northampton against Shrewsbury because Liverpool are playing Manchester United. It's a, it's a nonsense. Yeah, complete nonsense. Um, speaking of, of a football league um, 
teams. But Paul, have you got any uh, stories of the weekend from the football league? I see after uh, calling Derby out there, went to one away to Norwich. Yeah, they they had they had a really good win in the early game on on Saturday. I actually watched some of that, and I thought um, I thought Derby, uh, you know, with with Wayne scoring right at the end, uh, I thought Derby probably deserved deserved it overall. They they won much better than they've been in the in the first couple of games so I don't know if they were uh, you know while they didn't have a lot of possession they let Norwich have the ball when Derby broke I thought they carried a bit of a threat so um, it was an important win for them Norwich will be frustrated having had a lot of the ball that that they come out on the the wrong end I think the team that continues to surprise me is is Reading who who had another terrific win against um, Watford they're now four from four joint top of the league um I mean, I had Reading struggling in the bottom half before the season started, so that's definitely one to watch in the um, in the Championship. I think um, equally, we, we've already talked about Lincoln in League One, but I, I heard a stat on Soccer Saturday that it's Hull's best start for something like sixty odd years. I think they've won their first four games, um, and it's the first time they've done so since I don't know the nineteen fifties or something crazy. Um, crazy length of time and, and again in, in that division there's only Hull and Lincoln who were who were at the top with 100% records so you know it, it will start to settle down the games will start to come thick and fast now in the in the football league um, and once we're back out of this international break that will will naturally the pace will pick up uh, the, the one other that I, I wanted just to give a very quick mention to is is Morecambe who I've got one of the smallest budgets in the football league, and, and maybe I'm behind, and maybe somebody's come and invested a load of money in Morecambe in the summer, but not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware um, of either. No, they've got one of the smallest budgets in the football league. Um, you know, they're normally in that bottom four or five pretty much all season in League Two, and and their season is really about getting enough points to finish third bottom. Um, they've won three of their first four. They're second in League Two. Uh, they had a really good victory at the weekend. Um, over Port Vale, so a, a really good start to the season for them, um, and and I think it's just you know those clubs who don't have many moments in the spotlight, and Morecambe certainly fit into that category. It's it's good to give them a shout out when when they've got off to probably their their best start in maybe in in their entire time in the football league. If it's not, it's it's certainly very close to it. It's certainly a far cry from losing seven till to Newcastle a few weeks ago. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, again, I, I think we've got to that point at times with with the the Carabao Cup or the you know the Fizzy Pop Cup, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> where for a club like Morecambe, they will play not their strongest team, and that's when you start to get to the point where you're like, well, what are we doing here? If Morecambe think, well, I know we've drawn Newcastle, but frankly, having our centre forward fit for for a league game on Saturday is more important then you know, is he, I think I think you yeah, then have to question what the purpose of the League Cup is. Um, so, I, I, you know, as you say, Dan, it was a heavy defeat they took in that competition. But they've won three of the first four in the league. And I think if you ask Morecambe at the start of the season, would you trade getting nine points out of 12 for getting hammered by Newcastle in the Cup? They'd have snapped your hand off. Of course they would. And the issue you have this season in particular is that they won't have got uh, the, the normal windfall from hosting the Premier League team. Because Indeed, yeah, yeah. We're still in the ridiculous situation where you can have 3,000 people in the Royal Albert Hall in December, but you can't have any fans at all in football stadiums. Yeah. And that's not looking like it's going to go away anytime soon. Um, right, well, we've we've covered a, a, a lot of things. Um, certainly, I'm, I'm reading that uh, Inter Milan are signing Matteo Damian on loan from Parma. Um, certainly, Antonio Conte likes his former Premier League fullbacks. Yeah, I, yeah, another legend we signed. <laughs> <laughs> I think wasn't he one of the Van Hall intake? He was. He was. I think he was in that Schweinsteiger year, wasn't he? Schweinsteiger, yeah, Di Maria, Domi. Great window that one was. Great although, window that. Was. Although you did actually, you did actually sign Memphis Depay in that window, who it turned out once he left my U was not a bad footballer. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Antonio Conte is probably thinking, "What's Glenn Johnson doing?" He, I, I think. Uh, well, I, I think he's you, on Sky, isn't he? he? Probably, but I can tell you what he isn't doing, and that won't be closing down crosses. 
I'm trying to think of another random left back who he can sign. He loves his full backs, Conte. The, the, the amount Ashley Young's still there, isn't he? Lo- loves a, loves a, a former Premier League full back. Um, yeah, it's been a, a very interesting evening. I kind of feel better for cutting the promo on uh, on the Liverpool game yesterday, but we're in a we're we're in the dying embers of the window now. Um, the the the, the blackened. And yellow is kind of flashing at me like the red weed from War of the Worlds in the distance. Um, Jim White's taking his glasses off. He really means business. Holding, <laughs> the, holding them in his hand like a hammer of judgment. Um, the red map for me are looking on, looking a little bit confused, but that's just normal. Um, yeah, the, the pantomime is nearly closed for two months. <laughs> you should <laughs> really give Harry a fake car window, shouldn't you, to just have him <laughs> yeah. front of him on the desk? Yeah, like 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 that scene from uh, one of the one of the, the episodes of Police Squad, where the receptionist is just using like a, a, a side scrolling window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think that would that would bring some added drama if any more is needed. It it would probably go with all kind of health and safety concerns. Um, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Not talking about Liverpool, that's brought me no pleasure whatsoever. Um, I'll, I'll end on a really positive note as I just read that Jack Wilsh has been free transferred by West Ham. Uh, shame for him because he's had a lot of injuries. He used to be a very good player. Yeah, it's, it, it is a shame. I've seen that news as well. I think it's been inevitable. I think there are some, um, and I don't, I don't sort of want to kind of get into gossip and rumour but I think that I think Jack's had some issues with uh, family things as well off the field I think one of his children's not been well um, and obviously suffered awful injuries on the field um, it's a real shame that the, the, the kind of the kid who, who played that fantastic game against Barcelona all those years ago has, has ended his uh, well, what looks like certainly the end of his Premier League career if not if not his career in total um kind of being released not good enough to get on the bench at West Ham it's it's very sad but if it is the end for him in football then I think everybody would hope that he um you know is able to uh, has has been sensible with some of his money and is able to kind of enjoy uh, his life and look after his family um you know beyond beyond the game yeah it is it's sad but um, what one one I'd like to end on a, on a positive note. Um, thank you to those you who joined us for our um, chat with James Bentley last week. James was a Berry fan, and you, you may remember that he said that he was on the fence and not fully on board with um, Berry AFC. I'm delighted to say that um, James took the decision to go to their first ever game um, on Saturday, and. He, I'm I'm really glad that you 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 got that piece, James. Um, I hope you you really enjoy the journey with with Barry AFC, and I'm glad that you feel as though you can commit to football again. Absolutely. And on that very positive note, uh, we'll call it there. Um, I think we'll I think we'll try and do a show next week if if you're both available, gents. I don't know what we'll do it about. I'm sure we can find something. The intergalactic league nations <laughs> might not provide us with too many talking points. Maybe the number of uh, people breaking the COVID quarantine rules might be a more uh, telling topic of conversation. Um, It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, Thank you for listening 